Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Unstuck, the next message in the Called series by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for your word is living and active. And so, Father, I pray today that your word as seed would find good soil in each one of our hearts and produce a a harvest for you in your glorious name, we ask. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to make your way to the greatest short story ever written. At least, that's what many people say. It's the book of Ruth. While you're making your way to the book of Ruth, which is just after the book of Judges, uh, many will know that when I was in the forestry, uh, we used to, I had about 20 guys, and the guys that were working for me were only paid for the amount that they did. So these guys were hungry. We had guys earning hundreds of dollars a day, three, four, five hundred dollars a day. But uh, it all depended on uh, nothing going wrong throughout the day. Uh, Everything had to flow. Everything had to kind of go all right. And there was a few things that were what I would call progress killers, things that would just completely stop everything in its tracks. Uh, And believe it or not, it wasn't the weather. Uh, I used to get phone calls from guys from other crews that would ring up and say, hey, listen, we want to come and join your crew. And I'd say, do you have a set of wet weathers? Beep, beep, beep. Oh, okay. <laughs> Call waiting, apparently. Uh, but uh, it wasn't the weather. But the number one thing that used to stop our progress was getting bogged. Uh, believe it or not, uh, often the guys would move the vehicles of their own choosing and just absolutely bog the vehicles. I can't move any product without the vehicles. If they're bogged and they're stuck, uh, then we are grinding to a halt. Whenever a car got bogged, everybody would down tools to get the cars out as quick as they could because they wanted to make money and keep moving. And, and we had a policy in the end that if you're behind the wheel, when the car gets bogged, there's the shovel, see you when you're out. Uh, turns out cars got bogged very less after that. Uh, but even in our Christian life, There may be moments and there may be seasons where we feel stuck, where we feel bogged. Can't get out, can't move forward. And this morning as we come to the greatest short story ever written, and I would encourage everybody to to go home this week and read the book of Ruth. It's a wonderful short story and and it speaks a lot to us today. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're feeling stuck, you're in the right place. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know what, I'm unqualified for God to use me in any way, shape or form, you're in the right place. We will learn that Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Gentile. But the end of her story, let's fast forward, she will be in the redemption line of Christ, the great-grandmother of King David. And so this morning, if you think this is the end of your story and you're done, I want you to know today that as we come to the book of Ruth, God has more for each one of us. But how do we get unstuck? How do we keep moving forward? The wonderful thing about the book of Ruth is what appears to be ordinary, mundane life events. We see the wonderful hand of God everywhere. As you read through the book of Ruth, you'll notice that God is barely ever mentioned throughout the book of Ruth, and that's okay, because although God is not mentioned, we see him on every page. We see God in every paragraph. His hands and his fingerprints are over this whole situation. But I wonder whether uh, we can get stuck, and sometimes whether God might be waiting for us. 
as you come to the book of Ruth, where we're going to begin in chapter one, we're going to do a really quick breeze through the book of Ruth. We could spend a long time in the book of Ruth, but this morning, uh, we're going to begin at verses 14 and 15, but before we get there, what brings us there? Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Ruth, but Jewish tradition holds that the prophet Samuel wrote the book of Ruth, and that's possible. Because what we find ourselves in verse 1 is, it says that in the days when the judges ruled, and these were dark days, these were really dark days for Israel. If you can imagine those movies that speak about the Wild West, where there appears to be no law out the back somewhere, and there's, you know, every man for themselves, that was the book of Judges for Israel. Uh, You will read repeatedly, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, That's never worked out well, by the way. Whenever the people of God decide we're going to do things and we're going to do what is right in our own eyes, we're going to interpret scripture the way we want to, we want to view God how we want to, we want to make things a common, it's never worked out well. God was supposed to be their king, but they needed a king and of course we know how that story goes. But there was a time in Bethlehem when a, when a woman by the name of Naomi and her husband at the time, they were in a deep famine in Bethlehem, and particularly in the Old Testament, but I wonder whether God has stopped this. Uh, whenever God wanted to change the focus of his people, he would remove outward affections. It's called a famine. It's called pestilence. I wonder whether God still does that today. When we're too busy and too distracted with everything that's around us, sometimes God dries those things up until we begin to look up. And there was a moment in Bethlehem when there was a severe famine in the land and Naomi and her family decide we're going to go to Moab. And Naomi is a very prominent figure in this story, as we will see as time goes on. Ruth, of course, is. But but what happens is when they get to Moab, they're only supposed to sojourn, but they'll be there for 10 years. They always intended to return. But Naomi strikes tragedy. Whilst in Moab, her husband dies. And then not long after her husband dies, her two sons die. And if it's not bad enough being a widow in today's world, it's ten times worse in the ancient times because your means of a livelihood was wrapped up in somebody who could earn the money for you and was able to provide for the family. And sometimes a lot of your social rights were attached to family lineage that would come through your husband. It was a desperate situation to be a widow in the ancient times. It was ten times worse if you were in a foreign country. If things weren't bad enough in Israel, Moab had thrown the moral compass out the window a long time ago, like many other surrounding nations. So we find Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Oprah, or Oprah is more, more to the point. And Naomi knows that the Lord has revisited Bethlehem and she decides to go back. That's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. Remember that both Ruth and Orpah are Moabites. Uh, All of their family, uh, their uh, siblings and their parents, they're all in Moab and they could go back there and they could certainly find some reasonable amount of comfort back there. But that's what Naomi says, verse 15. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And now Orpah goes back. 
Both of these ladies are faced with, now we reach the first part, both of these ladies are faced with a choice. Orpah decides, I'm going to go back. She didn't want it to begin with, but she decides I'm going to go back. But Ruth makes a choice. Have a listen to the words of Ruth. Verse 15, and she said, see your sister-in-law, this is Naomi, and see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. That's a powerful statement from a Moabite. If you want to know about the relationship between Israel and Moab, read the story of Gideon. Gideon rescues them from a region. There's Midianites, but same region. Ruth goes on, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined hmm, to go with her, she said no more. Our life is often filled with choices. And often, the most practical thing that we can do to get unstuck when we find ourselves in this position is to make a choice. Is to, we may have a whole lot of decisions in front of us, but I love what Ruth does here. Often God's waiting for us just to make a choice, but what Ruth chooses here, she chooses loyalty, but she chooses God. There must have been something inside of Naomi that made Ruth say, I want your God. Uh, There must have been something in Naomi, there must have been something in this God for Ruth to say, I'm going to cast the fullness of my fate into your hands. I don't know what the future holds. Ruth has no inheritance whatsoever in Bethlehem. Nobody knows her back in Bethlehem and she's going to cast the fullness of her future into the hands of a God of Naomi. I am going to forsake my gods. I would like to encourage everybody in this room to start saying yes to God. Does that mean there will never be any challenges? No. In fact... (laughs) I don't need to say any more, I'll just keep preaching. (laughs) Life has a way of preaching its own message to us, uh, but we need to make a choice. Life is full of choices. Why? Why doesn't God just tell us what to do? The parameters of love are defined by choice. Uh, I often get asked this question whenever we do Q&As, I often get asked this question, why would God put the tree in the Garden of Eden? God knows what's going to happen, right? Because the moment God places the tree in the garden, every morning Adam and Eve wake up, they have to choose God. By the way, it was only one tree in the entire garden. One kale bush. I I like to call it a kale bush. (laughs) The, The moment you eat of this tree, you shall surely 
be healthy. (laughs) But that's not exactly what happened. (laughs) But the parameters of love are defined by choice. You see, God knows that by choosing him, we are loving him. Our lives are filled with choices. There was a time in my life when I decided I was just going to begin to say yes to God. And I didn't know what that looked like. And uh, I, I had come from, a, I'd come from a bad ministry experience. I didn't want anything to do with church. I was out of church for a while. I decided God had called me to work. So uh, that's what I did. I was never home. I was always working. And I was telling myself uh, how spiritual I was for providing for my family. And then I decided to go back to church. And, and to my discredit, I decided to sit in the back corner in a bucket of pus and say, God, I'm just going to sit up here and lick my wounds for the rest of my life and I don't ever want to get involved again. <laughs> Remember how I said God has a way of showing up in our ways on Monday? God never leaves you in a bucket of pus, by the way. Uh, but we do build our own buckets. I have to admit, we do build our own buckets. But after a while, I said, you know what? Um, I'm just going to start saying yes. And so I said yes. I got involved in, in a line of study. I, I didn't, it wasn't formal study of any kind. And, and it wasn't long before my pastor came and said, hey, would you like to do a communion sometime? I went, yes, no worries. And then uh, it wasn't long before he said, you know what, uh, would you like to preach every now and again on a Sunday night? I said, yeah, well, yes, okay, I'll give it a go. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to go on extended leave to the US. I need you to take the bulk of the preaching in the morning. Can you do that? I went, yeah, yes. The greatest yes I ever said, two greatest yeses I ever said, first one was when I was asked to run a home group. I loved it. That was a real different kind of yes. Because now we were walking through the Bible and the Christian life together. And uh, we, uh, over a period of time, we, uh, we, we had to move venues. It was, uh, we didn't have enough room in the land. They build lounge rooms small in Tasmania, uh, trying to keep the family small. But they build lounge rooms small in Tasmania. So we, but, but I loved it. I loved the home group. And then one day someone said, look, um, is it... <laughs> There's some kale love and cat strokers <laughs> up in Brisbane. Would you consider moving to Brisbane to pastor a church? Greatest yes I ever said. It's been, it's been a great journey for us and we've been blessed and um, praise, praise the Lord. But I just resolved I was going to start saying yes to God. You watch what God does when you start saying yes to him. But you know what? I've also, I, I've left people in Tasmania that decided that I'm going to continue to say no to God and I'm going to continue to sit up in the back corner in a bucket of pus and, and I'm going to continue to blame everybody else. for the. Can I tell you now, when you stand before God, nobody else but you will be in that room. You can't look around and go, my mum, my dad, my pastor, everybody else. You can't do that when you stand before Christ because nobody else will be there. The only conversation that Christ wants to have in that moment is with you. So today, I would encourage everybody to say yes to God and choose God. That's what Ruth does, and it transforms her future. Had she said, no, I'll go back to my mother-in-law, she is still a Moabite, but she will become part of the redemption line of Christ. Is she unqualified? Yes. For a Gentile? Don't forget Rahab, the prostitute. 
turns out being in Christ's lineage is all about faith. First one is to make a choice. Do you have to make a choice this morning? Is, is there a choice that God's asking you to make? But now we move on to my next one. I really like this one. What we see at the end of that passage that I just read, verse 18, and, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, determined. Mm. You see, there's a moment in our lives when we have to move past feelings into action. You know, when I was on the forestry coop, guys would come up and say, looks like the car's bogged. Thank you, Einstein. <laughs> there comes a point when we have to stop assessing the situation and, and talking about how we feel about it. I, I remember a particular time when my stepfather, who had, I, I have not heard swear words like this before this, but, but he came out on the coop one time, and because uh, he was the boss at the time, and he came out and gave us a 45-minute lecture about the dangers of getting the cars bogged and how to avoid it, and then turned around at the end of the track and got bogged down to the axles. <laughs> and, and all of the boys are looking at me saying, what do we do? I say, eyes front and walk forward. <laughs> uh, I, I heard swear words that I haven't heard before. Uh, but, <laughs> but at the end of the day... Uh, he was going to remain in that position until he rang two bulldozers to come and pick the car up. Move it. We never talked about that day. It never came up at Christmas parties, Robin. You'd be pleased to know. But, but standing around a car looking at a bog does you no good. You've got to pick up a shovel, friends. And, you know, so many people say, well, God's, I feel like God's called me to do this and I feel like God's preparing. Yeah, well, what are you doing about it? I feel like God's called me to, to be a... We need pastors. If God's calling you to be a pastor, what are you doing about it? Sitting around in feelings won't get you anywhere. It'll keep you bogged. You want to get unstuck. You need a determination to get intentional. Here's what James says. James says, A double-minded or a double-souled man should not think that he will receive anything from the Lord. While you're sitting here going, I don't know, I wonder, I wonder... It's time to move forward. Uh, I remember having conversations at, uh, at conferences uh, and other ministers would come and say, well, you know, uh, I want to have a talk to you because, you know, we're kind of in this space and we're thinking of buying our own building. And God's been really gracious to us here. More about that in a moment. But, but, but I found I was having the same conversations every year. I said, you guys have just got to do something. Rent a building. We talk about the same things every year. You've got to, you've got to get up and get moving, you get intentional. God blesses intentionality and God blesses momentum. Get moving. Uh, have I always made the right decisions? No. Well, it depends. Um, <laughs> if you ask my wife, the answer is no. But uh, the reality is we're going to make mistakes along the way. We're going to trip. We're going to stumble. But God has always guided. That's what the word shepherd means. The Lord is my shepherd, says David, I shall not want. David made some horrendous mistakes, but God always steered him. You see, the staff of the shepherd, imagine a shepherd standing on a hill saying to the sheep, go over there, do this, that and everything. No, guidance is something God does rather than something that he gives. Get moving. What happens? The sheep go the wrong way. He gets the staff out and says, hey, whoa, over here. For me, it's got to be the fence post because... <laughs> but get intentional. This is what Ruth does. Have a look at what Ruth does here. They're back in Bethlehem now, chapter 2. They're back in Bethlehem now, and it's time just to get about it. But, but have a look at what God does when she does. Uh, now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of 
Elimelech, I'm getting my tongue tied, whose name was Boaz. Uh, this guy's an interesting guy. Uh, I'm going to digress for a moment. Uh, most people that read the book of Ruth say, you know what, every wife should be like Ruth. Mm, okay, every husband should be like Boaz. If churches were filled with Boazes, could be a different landscape. More about that later. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. And so that was a provision that was made in the, in the law that uh, those that would reap their fields would leave the edges and the margins for others to come and the poor to come and the widows to come and glean some for themselves. Ruth gets about it. We can sit here, you can sit in a bucket of pus complaining about your circumstances or you can get about it and get moving, make a choice to get moving. That's what Ruth does. And have a look at what happens when she does. She goes to the fields, no idea what she's going to encounter when she gets there. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, go my daughter. That's what Naomi says. Verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, underline those two words. She happened to what? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Mm. And what I love about this story that we're starting to see now is all of the choices that Ruth has been making and some of the intentionality she's now bringing into this, the determination and the intentionality. We now see the whole time God's been weaving behind the scenes. Uh, Ravi Zacharias didn't finish his race so well, it turns out, but Ravi Zacharias writes a very profound book called The Grand Weaver, and he begins by describing uh, a Middle Eastern tapestries. And for those that may or may not be aware of those tapestries, uh, when you look at the tapestry from the backside, all it looks like is chaotic random threads going all over the place, and it looks like nothing. But if in the same moment you step on the other side of that tapestry and have a look at all of those same random threads from the other side, you see a beautiful piece of art coming together. So that is what God is doing for Ruth. That is what God is doing for us. But there comes a time when we have to move past feelings, get intentional, and have a look at what God does. I was thinking about this throughout the week, and uh, Brother Stan shared about Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. It's interesting, Jesus has a really interesting conversation with a woman by the name of Martha while he's at the temple, uh, at the tomb, excuse me. While they're at the tomb, Martha says, interesting words by the way, Lord, if you had been here, things would, my, my brother would never have died, Lord, if you'd been here. That's, they're interesting words. Um, can I press the pause button, Martha? Jesus is there now. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. We can't blame Martha too much yet. Jesus said, but she goes on and says, but even now I know that whatever you ask for, the Lord will give you. He says, well, your brother will rise again. Now, Martha's got her theology down pat. She knows her theology. She's going to recite. She's going to give Jesus a lesson in doctrine right now. I believe that my brother will rise at the resurrection because that's what they taught. She knew it in her mind. She had agreed with it. She's reciting it. She's confessing it. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Then he turns to Martha and says, do you 
believe this. Ah. You see, it's time to move past theology for a little minute. It's time for a little bit of personal application here, Martha. You, you, you've got your theology down pat. You can recite the doctrine, but do you believe in the person? And so the challenge comes this morning as we've got choices to make and we need to get intentional. Do you trust God with your future? Do you trust God with your future enough to take your hands off it? And say, Lord, your will be done. The reason I challenge you with that this morning is what God does after those words. What God does for Ruth, what God will do in our own lives when we say, Lord, I take my hands off, I I surrender. I have a number of conversations, not so much here, but outside of here as well, with people that tell me all these feelings and all the theology and everything that God's going to do. You know what, even this week, God sat me down and, you know, I could recite theology too, Lord, and I've got everything, and I, and I know my, but maybe God every now and again sits me down and says, yeah, but do you believe this? Do you trust me with your future? You see, often trusting God with our future looks like, Lord, I trust you with my future, and here it is, I've got it all mapped out for you. <laughs> I've got a great plan for my life, uh, just as soon as you align with that. That's a, it's the blank sheet of paper again. It looks like, Lord, hey, 10 years ago, if you'd have said I'd been pastoring a church in Brisbane, I'd have said you were nuts. Turns out I was nuts. Let's fast forward. Ruth makes a choice. She gets intentional. Now she meets Boaz. And I'm a huge fan of Boaz. Boaz doesn't force himself on Naomi or Ruth in any way, shape or form. But Boaz holds a very special relationship to these women. He is their kinsman, Redeemer. And see, a kinsman redeemer is a family member. It's Naomi's side, not Ruth, of course. But a kinsman redeemer is one who has the power, but not only the power, but the, <coughs> the responsibility to step into the infirmity and the lack of a family member and rescue them. Naomi says that Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. He's a close enough relative to us that he can step in and ultimately transform our future. Now, both Naomi and Ruth actually have the right to demand this from Boaz. Under the law and under the legalities, they can go to Boaz And they can say to Boaz, you're our kinsman redeemer. You have to act on our behalf and rescue us from this situation. That's not how they do it. Naomi says to Ruth, and you can read this for yourself when you get home. But Naomi says to Ruth, 
Don't go about it that way. Naomi says, tonight when uh, Boaz falls asleep at the grain, which was a good idea in those days because if you weren't somewhere near your assets, they were likely to be plundered. And so uh, every night Boaz, Boaz is a very wealthy man. We know that he has a great deal of uh, uh, servants and he has a great deal of labourers, all which seem to really respect him. And he makes enormous provisions for Ruth when he learns who she is. Uh, By the way, lesson number one, character will always go before you. When he hears about Ruth, he says, I have heard about you and I've, I've heard about your loyalty and I've heard about the choice you made to give up everything in Moab and come loyally. So therefore he makes provision. And he says, if you're thirsty, you come to my wells and drink and you can come to my fields in safety because I've told my men to keep an eye on you. He makes provisions for her. And so what happens after that is, Naomi says, you know what? When he falls asleep tonight, go and lay at his feet. And in an act, not in words, but in an act, here's what Naomi is encouraging Ruth to do. When you are laying down humbly at his feet, what you are doing is you are saying, I throw myself and the fate of my future in your hands. Boaz responds enormously to that. You see, Naomi and Ruth could have made demands of Boaz, but they don't. Instead, they come and they say, we submit and we cast ourselves to your hands. And if you read the story, Boaz actually learns that he's not the closest relative. There's another one. Talk about a man of integrity. Boaz says, I've got to give this guy a chance to step in. And and so he goes and speaks to this guy. And the guy says, no, I don't want any of that. And so Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. And their future is transformed. But it all starts back with choices. It all starts back with some intentionality. Ruth makes choices. Naomi makes choices. They start getting intentional and God is in every one of those choices. God was on the fields when she's reaping on the edges of the field. God is there steering her the whole time to Boaz. God is the God who is working behind the scenes. C.S. Lewis beautifully says, he agrees with William Shakespeare. He says, life is like a stage and we are all actors. And although we are responsible for the choices and we are responsible for the part that we play on that stage, ultimately God writes the script, right? God is behind the scenes preparing everything. I want to encourage everybody this morning for what the story of Ruth has for us. The story of Ruth, for those that feel like God is a million miles away, that God can't see you, uh, that God has placed you at the back of the church and forgotten about you and you're just going to grow old in the back of the church and, and therefore God's never going to use you. That's not the intentionality that God has for anybody. God is working behind the scenes. Maybe he's waiting for us to make some decisions. Maybe he's waiting for us to get moving. Maybe there's a a Boaz waiting for us where God has prepared a future for us.
I love this story and we could, we, could, we could preach about it for a long time. I love this story because not only is there a wonderful picture here of Boaz and Ruth, not only are there great lessons about husband and wives and so husbands today, if you would like a Ruth in the house, then be a little bit more of a Boaz. And, and so maybe uh, men, we need to... Uh, can I say that we need more Boazes? We need more Ruths. Listen, listen to the audacity of Ruth. A Gentile Moabite woman that grabs hold of a future. God steers her wonderfully. But there's more than that. There's a beautiful picture here of Christ and his church. There's a beautiful picture of our relationship with Christ. Christ is like our Boaz. He's the one that can step into our situation and transform our future. In fact, that's exactly what he did 2,000 years ago for all of those who are willing to take him by the hand and to move forward into a future with Christ. You can do that. But I would encourage everybody to come submissively and humbly and cast your future surrendered to the feet of Christ. There was a, there was a moment in my life many years ago, when I started praying, probably the most dangerous prayer I've ever prayed. I preached a sermon at Lagana on Joseph. And it was all about sanctifying the Lord. And when you look at Joseph and also other people in the Bible and how they ran their race, we notice something different about Joseph. We notice the position that God held in Joseph's heart. And what we... What I preached on that day was how Joseph had taken God from the very commonplace in his life and placed him in the very special. That's what it means to sanctify something as holy. Sanctify means to set apart, and, and holy means no longer common, but very special and very sacred. Uh, to give you an idea, you, the, the sanctified crockery, the really special china you have in your house that you break out when I come round for tea... But I started praying, Lord, sanctify yourself in my heart as holy. That's a dangerous prayer. But God starts to remove affections for this world. Friends, when you stand before Christ, you will not be there with your job status. Jesus won't ask you how many friends you've got on Facebook. I would encourage everybody, if you will cast your fate at the feet of Christ, he can transform your future. Ruth teaches us to have the audacity and the boldness to say, Lord, here I am. Ruth says something very special to Boaz. She asks him, Spread your cloak over me or, or take me under your wing, which is a way of saying, marry me. But isn't that not what Christ does to us? You see, the Christian life is not us taking God under our wing. The Christian life and our Christian race is, Lord, take me under your wing. Let's pray. 
Father, I pray that everybody in this room would sanctify you as holy in their hearts. I, I pray, Father, for those that are standing right now with choices. I pray that you would teach us, that you would lead us and guide us to make godly choices. Where we choose God, Father, because you've already chosen us. That's what Scripture teaches us. Father, I pray for those that feel stuck today, that, that Lord, you would move us with intentionality and momentum today, that you would remove our double-mindedness and move us past feelings to embrace the person of Jesus Christ today, I pray. And I pray that for every person sitting here today that feels like you're a million miles away, that they would see a moment where you are weaving for us an eternal future. Father, we thank you that you're always working. All things work together for the good of those who love you, Lord. We thank you for that privilege this morning in your wonderful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.